really isn't a sermon today, not like an exegetical message that I normally preach. I hope you're not too disappointed. Um, when I make visits to you, one of the things that I try to do is just get an update on your life and what God's doing in your life. And, uh, you know, uh, you don't usually ask mine because you don't care. So you <clears throat> but I'm just going to give you an update. And uh, that may be pretty boring to you. I don't know. Uh, been retired now for four whole months, Lori and I have. And uh, folks told me when we jumped into this that you're going to find your rhythm. Okay, in retirement. Some of you are laughing. Um, I, I quickly discovered that it's not a I'm going to find, it's a we going to find. All right. I mean, we, uh, we're going to have to work this out uh, together. Uh, you know, that twice as much husband, half as much money sort of thing. You know, we're, you know, yeah, uh, you got to kind of embrace that. But finding that rhythm, what does it look like? We have some days that are common four, four time. We can even do three, four and some two, four sometimes, but we ain't made it to six, eight yet. We just don't have the, the energy for that anymore. You know, we're, uh, well, we're retired for a reason. All right. One of the things that, uh, that I did a couple of weeks ago was, uh, no, it was last week, I guess it was. Uh, no, maybe it was a couple. I don't know. Um, me and Judy were losing our brain, all right, uh, as she said earlier. But uh, the kids were going up to uh, Lake Skaniwa, and they were going to kayak. And so, you know, uh, Lori and I just said, hey, we'd go along and sit on the bank and take care of the little ones while they had fun. And in the process of that uh, day, I ended up being in a kayak and pedaling around a little bit and We've been thinking about different things that related to the water for some time. And I mentioned it to her, said, hey, you know, why don't we just get a, a kayak for us, a big one that both of us can ride in. And she blew me away. This woman who absolutely has a terrible fear of water that I never could even get in my 16-foot boat, maybe three times, I don't know, not very many. And she looked at me and she said, I think that'd be great. I figured this is the kayak stage of life, right? I mean, that's where we're at. <laughs> makes about as much sense as snow skiing, but we're there, you know, and why not? You know, we had our motorboat stage. We had our motorcycle stage, neither of which she liked. So if she doesn't like this one, it's not going to be different anyway. But uh, this is the retirement stage now that we're in with these kayaks. And so uh, as I was uh, thinking of the idea of putting it together, this is a weed deal. So I knew it had to be a tandem. It had to be for both of us. And then my wife in rhythm, I used to try to play guitar for her and she would sing. Her idea of rhythm and mine were not the same and that always just led to frustration. And I had this thought in my mind about her with a paddle and me with a paddle and how in tandem that was going to be. And, and there was no way that I could imagine those being a good experience, you know. I uh, just couldn't bring myself to, to find that. And so we have a kayak with an electric motor, okay? And that solved a lot of problems. Now we can move in unity, we can move in sync, and um, we also have beat the fatigue issue as well and can keep up with the kids. It's fun to start something new in your life uh, and not just do the same old, same old all the time. Uh, and if it doesn't pan out, everything has a season. I understand that. And it could be a short season here. And that's okay, but the kids will use a kayak. You know, it's fine. But uh, uh, D. Duke would, would applaud me on this because he says we all need these BHAGs, these things in front of us, these big, hairy, audacious goals that we want to try to capture, you know. And, and you better do these things while you can. Uh, 
Um, I love to visit with my dad. Front porch visits, phone call visits, texting conversations. I glean a lot from his faith and from his age and from his experience. He made the statement as I was talking about retirement and all that. He said, never give up something unless you have to or you want to. Never give up something unless you have to or you want to. And I added to that for my own self. I think it's important to add things while you can. And I had a trip planned to go and to uh, climb Mount Adams. That was on my summer list. I was in the process of putting all that together. And I went to the hospital at age 56. And that trip never happened. Now, I didn't shake my world. It's not the end of the world that I've never climbed Mount Adams. But every time I drive by it, I feel like it's lapping at me, you know. But Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. We need to make the most out of the seasons of life. Seize them for what they are. And make the very most out of what God has given us. In Ephesians 5.15 it says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Because the days are evil. Now that's speaking to, I think, a whole lot more than just those opportunities to stay away from sin and walk with the Lord and those opportunities to be that witness for Christ in the world. But the Bible even talks about there's a season and an opportunity when you're going to make money. And if you blow that, you're in trouble. And even talking about the ant, it says there's a season he's got or he's going to go hungry. And we come out a lot better if we operate our lives in tune with the timing, God's timing and God's seasons for our lives. In, Proverbs, in Psalms 37, 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. If we set our mind on the Lord and we're desiring the things of the Lord, he's going to give us desires in our hearts that he wants to fulfill. And we tend to spiritualize that in, into just the promises and just the things that have to do with our spiritual and religious and uh, love relationship with the Lord and not to see it for a bigger picture that it is. I mean, if God gives you a desire for music, he's probably going to give you some talent to go along with it, right? And then he's given you a gift that you can use in a, mir a million different ways, right? So the desires, God delights to give us the desire when we desire him. And then he delights to give us the desire that he gave us to desire. Does that make sense? Messed you up? No, I didn't. You've had a kid and they tell you what they want for Christmas and you say, no, you don't. So you convince them that they want this. They ask for it. You give it to them. You gave them the desire that they desired because you gave them the desire, right? <laughs> you don't think God's smart enough to do that with you? Because they didn't need that plastic. There was something way more beneficial. Listen, you desire the Lord. He's moving in your life the same way. And man, when we land on going, ooh, that's something maybe that God really has for us. It's a direction he has for us to go. So being the person that I am, I sat down and I asked myself, kind of as this being my operating principle, you know, don't give something up unless you have to or you want to. And what's important maybe to add to your life while you can. And with that in mind, I did what I always do. I sat down and I began to work through my goals and my vision statements and all of that. And those of you who've been around me for a long, long time know that I have pages of those that I work on. 
And I ask myself, what do I need to give up? What I want to hold on to, what I want to add to my life. Immediately, you just do this. Setting goals. You jump to your relationship with the Lord and you're looking at things that you want to do that are going to just uh, uh, improve that, you know, and uh, you want to move forward with that first and more for first and foremost. I think this is a good thing to do at every stage of life, if you think about it. Just to sit down and reevaluate again. What is it that I want to keep? What is it that needs to go? What is it that I want to add to my life? Because every stage of life is different. Now, in your childhood, you're not going to do that. In your adolescence, you probably won't do that because I know how adolescents are. You know, even in young adulthood, we have a generation that seems like they're not ready to step into the responsibility that's there. But as things move forward and you get married, do things, is that not an appropriate time to ask some of those questions? What about when you have that first kid? What about when you do that job change? Uh, what about when you make that move? What about, um, you know, that empty nest syndrome once the kiddos are gone, right? And what about that retirement that's coming? What about that putting your parents in the grave? That's a part of it too. If you're lucky, you want to be able to do that. What about losing that spouse? Sooner or later, it's going to, happen in your life to one of you is that not a, an appropriate time to stop and, and evaluate and ask these questions i think so and it's amazing how many people just tread through life and never really are intentional about doing this sort of evaluation what i want to keep what do i need to get rid of and what i want to add to my life in this season I'm not adding snow skiing. I'm in the wrong season, okay? That's done. I think it's an valuable. I think it's important for us to do that and then step into the responsibilities that we find at that point. Um, went to the doctor. That's what we do a lot in retirement. I've been to the doctor nearly every month, I think. My wife goes... Once a month and twice on Sunday, you know, I mean, she goes more than I do. And I was at the doctor's office the other day and they give you these dumb questionnaires to fill out. And it's the same one every time you're writing. Yeah, I went through all that. And then she comes in and she's telling me that I'm mildly depressed. <laughs> Don't know where this woman gets these ideas, you know, mildly depressed. I was angered by that. I came home fussing at Lori, you know. Now, I know, I know that, that I take drugs that are supposed to make you depressed because she picks my drugs up for me. And every time she picks the drug, drugs up at the pharmacist, the pharmacist will ask her about this one drug. Is he okay? This is mood altering and usually causes people to be depressed. And she always says the same thing. Yes, absolutely. No, she doesn't. Okay. And, and I know that, you know, I mean, I know that's part of what I'm up against and, you know, all of that. I mean, I get that. But I have never seen myself or allowed myself to be depressed because depression comes from helplessness and hopelessness. A helpless, hopeless situation that you cannot do anything about. And in Christ Jesus, I've just yet to come upon one of those. There's a couple of times that I got there that I thought I was in that situation and it took a while to get over that hump. 
But folks, we never come to a place in Christ Jesus where we're helpless or hopeless. I just don't live that way. Now, you can work out the theology on that if you want. You can disagree with me on that if you want. But you can take any situation and find hope in it in Christ Jesus. And we are never helpless in any situation. You will always, always have a choice as to how you're going to respond and what you're going to do and whether or not you're going to obey God in that moment and bring glory to Him and His kingdom or whether you're not. You have a choice as to whether you're going to rejoice or find yourself in the deep depths of despair. That is what I believe. Some people say, well, it's hormonal, it's physical, there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, I'll give that to you. You deal with it, you do your thing. I'm taking pills that are supposed to make me that way and I refuse to yield. Because of what I believe about my Lord. So she ticked me off. <laughs> and so it, it kind of made me go back again with even more fervor than before in this state of change because she was asking me questions about retirement and how that's making me feel and all this. And so I went back and I said, okay. I've got all of this going for me in retirement. This is where I'm at. This is the stuff that I know is absolute. This stuff has never changed for me in years and years and years. And as long as I don't lose my mind, it's not going to change for me until the day I, I die. And so I've already got some things in place that I will live, that will govern, that will determine, that will guide my life with purpose until the day I die. If I never add another thing to it. And so I went back and I looked at those and I nailed them down again and I wrote them in my chart like I do because it's like, look, Rick, look at where you're at. Look at what you got. Look at the things that you know that you know that you know and start there. And so I did. You've got these. I guarantee you have them. You're thinking, gee, what are mine? You have them. You have verses that God has just buried and burned into your heart that you live by, don't you? You have had revelations and experiences that have just molded your thinking into a way that you have something you live by. And I'm not talking about garbage. I'm talking about the stuff that you've run through and tested with the word of God. And you know it's accurate and true. And God gave you an experience to get you there. Or he gave you the verse and an experience and an experience and an experience and an experience until you got the verse, right? Are you with me? You got some? You have some. I'll speak good English and not redneck this morning. You have some? Okay. You do, right? So all I did was just go back and nail mine down. I saw it. This, this is not going to surprise you. Mark 12 and 30. Love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. Now, you've never heard me say that before. I have hammered that over and over and over and over. It's, it's a driving thing in my life. Rick, you've got to love the Lord. You've got to love the Lord with everything. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You've got to love the Lord. You've got to be moving forward in this love relationship. It's never to be stagnant. Do not lose your first love. Love, love, love the Lord. It gets better and better over here. It needs to be getting better and better up here, right? I'm driven by that. I saw retirement as an opportunity to just double down on my love relationship with the Lord. Man, I walked into retirement thinking, "Woo, double down time, baby. 
I can get up and have a quiet time in the morning. I just get up and start them at 5 o'clock, and I had to be done by 7. I don't have to quit anymore. I actually find myself praying more, reading an extra commentary. I go pretty strong until my lovely granddaughter comes in, and then I get distracted. But she doesn't get up till 7 or 7.30, and then she has her run through, and I can still go back to it if I want to. What are you living for, Rick? Do you have anything that motivates you, that pushes you forward? Yes, my love relationship with God. Just to walk a day with Him, to fall more in love with Him today. I love falling more in love with her every day. And it's not something I trip into, it's something that I calculate and invest in and do. I saw retirement as an opportunity to reevaluate and work on my character issues too. You can get busy and not work on character. You know that? Just cover up your problems by getting so busy you don't really, and inside you're still the same old mess. In Romans 8, 29, it says this, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many uh, brethren. Okay, so, if you're saved, you're predestined to be what? Conformed to the image of Christ. That's character. Seems like to me, it's right there in the word. If God's got an agenda for me to conform me to the image of Christ, that if I worked with him in that, him in that, things would be better, right? But we don't. We work against him a lot of times. Alan Steed, his wife, uh, D. Steed, I, I can remember for years and years and years, and I've shared this with you before. I don't have any new illustrations either, but... Uh, years she prayed that her husband to get saved he got saved and man he got excited about the lord and everybody you know how it is oh he'll come down you know how they do they'll cool off he never did i bet he's still going today i remember her coming to me and saying you know i want him to get saved i didn't want him to get this much <laughs> that's where we live we want to be saved we want to be conformed to the image of christ but we don't want that much but when you really think about it why not who doesn't want to become like Jesus? I mean, rationally, really, when you sit and ponder on it, who else do you want to be like? Biden? <laughs> anymore, I can say whatever I want. <laughs> I love it when she goes, oh. This has a very practical side to it, too. I mean, anytime we're being molded in the image of Christ, anytime our character is growing, it has a real practical side to it. Listen to Ephesians 5 and 1. Look at this. Be imitators, therefore, of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. The motivation for this is the fact that he loves us, he saved us, he redeemed us, we're his kid. Man, if you had the privilege of a dad who loved you, I guarantee you there's nobody you'd rather be like than him. Well, I tell you, I had one, I know. And I still ain't there. He's still twice the man I am. you got a heavenly father who loves you. You're his dearly loved child. And that's the motivation to live a life of love. And what does that life look like? Just as Christ loved us, gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice unto God. 
And if you let that motivate you and you walk in that love relationship and you love as you have been loved, it's going to have practical applications for your character. It's going to put you in a place where when God wants to use someone. In 2 Timothy 2.21, it says this, if a man cleanses himself, if a man cleanses himself, he will be an instrument of noble purpose, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. You ever go to the counter, to, you pick up your cup of coffee and you, you're going to have one that morning, you pull a cup down and that one missed the dishwasher. Have you ever done that? What do you do with it? I don't wash it. Now that would be, okay. I'll leave it for Lori to wash later. I don't make my coffee with it, right? I don't put it there. That's a character issue. I'm not there yet, okay? All right? So, I tell, I, yeah, well, what can I say, okay? That's where we want to be. We want to be in that place that when God says, oh, this needs to be done, guess what? Mm, I'll take this guy. I think over and over and over and over I see in Scripture that God reaches over and he picks up people to use them. Sometimes they're a mess. Look at Samson. But there seems to be, to me, this predominant thing that I see among the ones God seems to love to grab first and foremost. It's this little world word called humility. God seems to look for those. Not necessarily perfection, but humility. And that's another sermon. Another thing that I nailed down is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. These are just things that, this is in my basket of, yeah, this is mine till I die. So whether you eat or whether you drink, do all to the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jew, Greek, or the church of God, the fellowship of the saints. Even as I try to please everyone in every way, for what? Because I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that people could be saved. So that they may be saved. Doing everything for the glory of God in such a fashion that the world might see our Savior and be saved. It's not about us. It's about Him. Always prayer, evangelism, and the ministry of the Word has been a part of my life. In uh, 2 Corinthians 5.19, God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation as we are therefore ambassadors, Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Is that not a lot of responsibility? As Christians, we are ambassadors for Christ. It is as if Christ is making his appeal to the world through us. And people say evangelism is not important. My life is not important. Living to the glory of God is not important. Loving the Lord is not important. Looks to me like it is. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. This is our message to the world that we live out in our lives. This is the message that has transformed our life. We've talked about the love of God for us. It's there. And that love, because of it, he wants this living relationship with us that brings to us life. And our sin has separated us from the possibility of that. Our choices to rebel against Him. They've separated us from Him. 
And there was no restoration of that in Christ Jesus. He became for us the reconciliation between us and God. Because by doing what he did on Mount Calvary, living a perfect life, he was able to appease the justice of God and make a way for us to experience reconciliation with God and forgive our sins. And maybe you don't understand all that. You might just have to accept that on faith when you begin and you'll understand it as you study more and more later on. It will make perfect sense to you later on. But Jesus did something for you because he loved you as God's son. And now when we embrace that, what happens? When we receive that, when we turn from sin, self, and Satan to him, our lives are transformed. In Galatians, or in brother Acts uh, 6 and 3, the churches having a struggle with uh, some widows and the distribution of goods and foods to them and the taking care of them. And they were asking the apostles to, to, to handle this matter. And they said, we're going to turn this responsibility over to somebody else so that we can give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now, as a pastor, I wasn't always able to give those responsibilities over somewhere else, but I always felt like there was still a part of my life that had to be given to prayer and the ministry of the word. These are things that are never going to change for me. I got a purpose. You know, and so one of the questions was, do you feel like you have a purpose now? Are you purposeless right now? You know, maybe that's causing your depression. Never. This is there, right? If you ever feel purposeless, it's because you're short-sighted and you've lost your focus. Because that's ours. We can all own it, can't we? We can get up in the morning with a direction. But as I examined retirement and the vocation and the calling and the work that it seemed like were changing for me, I was a little puzzled by that thought. And you may come to times in your life when you're a little puzzled. In 1 Thessalonians 4.11, it says this, Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your hands as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. That works really good if you have a job. Right? I didn't feel purposeless at all. And yet, when I looked at this, I felt purposeless. So you can have a great big picture and still have a little area somewhere where you're going, hmm, what's going on here? My work was God's provision for us, for our family, for taking care of our needs. It gave me a specific, very specific ministry to the body of Christ. I believe that every person has a ministry to the body of Christ. You read Corinthians and you're going to find this. Some are toes, some are noses, some are arms, some are feet. Oh, we got some that, yeah, look like warts and moles. But anyway, they're all part, right? And every one of those that's a part of the body of Christ is to be edifying and building up. And every one of them is necessary for that church to be what it is supposed to be. So we all have that place. We all are to be contributing. I told the kids, you're a part of a family. And as a part of this family, you don't get to contribute to the family. I don't care if it's taking out the trash or cleaning the toilet. There's something you got to do to contribute here. 
there's something we need to be doing to contribute to the family of God. We're a part of it, and I felt that way. And so it was a reevaluation of that in my life as well. Ask questions about how now to edify, how now to build up God's family. My role related to evangelism, my role related to, uh, to missions, the mission of the church had changed. I wasn't serving as an elder in the capacity of pastor anymore. I wasn't serving anymore on the admin council. My position on the ministry council involving evangelism was terminated. My teaching and preaching roles were all stopped. My intention was, and my intention still is, to only pick these things back up as they're healthy for the congregation and as their health and my health and my energy allows me to do that as well. And I was waiting on either the church to make that request or the pastor to make that request because whatever I do, I don't want to be about division or divisiveness. And there's some big changes coming, big questions still to be answered. And I needed to step back and give God room there. So where do you fit in? Okay, I'm starting to figure that out. I've got some niches and holes and places and plugs. God is starting to do with me. That doesn't mean that as all this was going on, I, I, I felt like a, I had lost my ministry. That's not it. I, I mean, I, I understand because, but just in the church of God was where I was struggling. I understand God planted me in the house, in the residence, in the home that he put me in for a reason. That's my mission field. I mean, he planted me there, and I believe God wants me to love those people that live in my neighborhood. And guess what? That's easy. I got a great neighborhood. They're easy to love. I've been in some places I'm going, oh, my, that would be a, that would be a struggle. I understand. I still have a ministry to my wife. I still have a ministry to my kids, and I have a ministry to grandkids. And I have a, uh, a role now that you play also with your parents as long as they are alive. And I was looking forward to doubling down on all of that too. I have a lot of valuable relationships. And that's one of the things the doctor asked me. He said, well, do you have any significant relationships? I got so many relationships. I'm, come on, you know, I am blessed. And I'm looking forward to having more. So it's, as, as you look at those things, this feeling of lostness was just connected to this one place of what do you do with your hands now? You know? And how does that look? And how does it work out? There was this huge piece of my life in terms of time and energy that needed to be repurposed. And I knew if I didn't repurpose this energy and this time that it was going to be lost to the urgent or it would be exhausted in things that would leave me empty when I stood before God on judgment day. And so I began the process of repurposing that time. Repurposing is not a new thing to any of us. Have you ever been given a 50-gallon drum? Anybody? 50-gallon drum, 50-gallon barrel. 55, okay? 55. Huh? Do you throw that away? Nobody ever throws one away. What do we do with them? We repurpose them. Burn barrel. I heard that. Cistern. Yeah, water. What else? Oh, she stores paper in it. Oh, I had one recently. I turned it into a tool storage thing. It was a hard decision. I thought about cutting it in half and making it a part of the raised flower bed that I was doing for Lori. You know, um, 
I considered the water runoff thing, but thought, no, we get enough rain up here. Ended up, you know, making it into a tool storage thing for lawn tools. It was great. I know a guy that made a, a, a honeybee extractor out of one. I, I, know a, I know a guy that has a barbecue pit he made out of one. I've seen rodeo clowns use them for protection. Hmm? I mean, you can repurpose a lot of things, right? And I had a block of energy and time that I needed, that I wanted to repurpose. And so uh, I set about the task of, of trying to do that. Um, this is an important concept. This is one that is mine, not necessarily right, but this is mine. But get this, if you don't get this, you won't get where I'm going. In my life, if something has outlived its original purpose, and it can't be repurposed, that I can see, it goes to the dump. Right? I get rid of it. Or I give it to somebody that has a vision to repurpose it. Okay? Now hold on to that thought for a minute. The highlight of my retirement so far has been the weekend that Lori and I spent at Astoria. Um, yeah, I know, big trip. We had seen this little motel on the hill for years, and we thought, we need to go see that. We need to just try that sometime. Finally, we did. What's it called? Crest or Crestview or something. It's just as you come into Astoria there. It's up on the hill. So we went up and I said, yeah, okay, we'll stay for one day. But I said, give me a room that doesn't have anybody moving in real quick. If we like it, we'll stay for more. We were there a week. Okay. We liked it. We liked Staff. We liked everything about it. I've got pictures. I started to put them on the screen, but they don't work anyway. But I got them on my phone if you want to see them. An amazing, an amazing view. Absolutely phenomenal. And we would sit out there every morning and every evening. Sun coming up, sun going down. We watched. We got up in the morning. We knew where we were at, you know. And I was working on this stuff. I was working on my roles and my goals. I was working on how I'm going to repurpose this part of my life. Because why? Because that's who I am, okay. Going to repurpose this. I'm not, I'm not going to live in depression. We're going to fix this, right? And so I'm working on this, and we're reading our Bible in the morning, and, and uh, we're praying together, and then I get my coffee, and, and we sat out on the, the porch there on the second floor. We watch all of this, and I mean, we're just worshiping the Lord together. It's like, man, it can't get any better than this. And I'm sitting there on one of those days, and this text comes across my phone and said, somebody just put money in your bank. And I'm going, does it get any better than that, you know? <laughs> Social Security coming through, baby, you know? I didn't do nothing. I'm sitting here worshiping God and they're going, here's some money. Yeah, I can do this. All right. You know. This place is up so high that everything's down below and and there are birds and these just tons of them. But there's the eagles will fly there and they they start down low and they just do this. They're, you're, you know, when you're up on a mountain, you see them here and then you watch them go there and then they're gone. Right. That's what it is. It's high enough that you can see them start down here and they come up like this and then pretty soon they're gone. Oh, I thought, well, that's cool. It's cool. We're sitting there at breakfast. I think it was the third morning. We were sitting there at breakfast and I'm, I'm, I'm you know, we had, it, this is at the motel. They have the little, you know, they call it continental, whatever, you know, where you smash your waffles and have your boiled egg and so forth. But we went over there, same great view. And we're sitting there, you know, and she's still getting her stuff. And, and I'm watching this eagle takes off. And, and you can see him. He's starting his little progression. She comes over, sits down, and she starts eating there a little bit. 
And this eagle just goes more and more and more and more. And it's like God said to me, that's it. This is what I have for you in retirement. I want you to soar on wings like eagles. It's just one of those moments. You're saying you're crazy. I didn't hear an audible voice. It was just like, I get it. And I sat there in that moment just worshiping and I was just bawling. You know, Lori looks over at me and she says, what's wrong with you? I couldn't have explained if I wanted to. I was crying too much. I just said, nothing. <laughs> but that scripture verse was in my mind. I'm watching. Mount up on wings as eagles. Soar on wings as eagles. And I heard God saying real loud and clear. Let me repurpose that time and energy. Quit. Don't you try to do it. Let me do it. And let's soar. On wings as eagles. Well I had to start all over. I went back to the room. I scratched out my vision statement at the top. And I put down soar on wings as eagles. And then the next thing I had to do. Was find that verse. I wanted to read the whole thing. Right. And so I'm going to read it to you. It says in Isaiah 40, 21, do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the foundation of the earth? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy. He spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught. He reduces the, ruler of, the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted. No sooner are they sown. No sooner do they take root in the ground. than he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind sweeps them away like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal? Says the Holy One. Lift your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. He who brings out the starry host one by one calls them each by name because of his great power and his mighty strength. No one of them is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and complain, O Israel, why is the Lord hidden from why? Is my way hidden from the Lord? My cause disregarded by the Lord. Lord, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. Even youth grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in, those who wait upon the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. That's what I thought. I read that and went, ooh. <laughs> I'm all in. I'm all in, Lord. So what does it mean? Wasn't really sure I knew. And one by one, God's been showing me some things. You know? And I have a list, and it's a sermon series, I'm sure. But here they are. Rest. Ride. Restore. 
rejoice, refocus, repent, renew. That's all I got so far. And I'm working on goals that line up with all these. Oh man, I wanted to give you two of them this morning. But we're late. I guess I'll have to wait for a sermon series. Okay, I'm going to close with this. Let's talk about the eagle one more time. He does this. And as he soars and he circles, and as I watch him, he rides. He just rides the wind. And you got the power of the Holy Spirit in you. And John talks about how the Spirit moves wherever it will. And it moves in the lives of believers. And as it moves in the lives of believers, you can't see the Spirit, but you can see the result as they move with it. Are you moving with it? And I watch that bird and he just does this. That's all he does. And then occasionally he goes. <laughs> and I'm going, what's he doing? You know what I think he's doing? He's going, ooh, current's over there. <laughs> and he gets back in place. Are you with me? Did you get the message? You on it? Do I have to preach the sermon? Okay. And as he's doing this. There's all these other little stupid birds that don't like eagles. Oh, probably for good reason. And they're just going like this. Bow, bam, 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 all around. Just you ever seen that? And what does the eagle do? He goes like this. Boo, 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 right? No. What does he do? He just does this. He just does this. And he keeps doing this. Higher and higher and higher. And higher. And you know what happens to those little birds? They're out of their element. He's just flying too high. They can't touch him. Huh? Huh? What's causing you stress? Oh, listen, I got a sermon here. What's causing you stress? Listen, those are the little birds, people. And you're not going to win by doing this. You got to get... On the wind. Ride. The spirit. And get above it. And you're going to have a perspective from up above. That you've never had before. Maybe I should do a Bible study. Teach you what God showed me about these. But I think you got it. You got something in your life that you need to take a look at. And kind of like you did with that 50-gallon drum, reappropriate what's going to be done with it. Will you let God do it? Will you let him have it? He's got more vision as to what to do with it than you do. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you know, I didn't tell anybody anything they don't know. We've all been here before. 
We take back bits and pieces of our life and decide we can do it better than you do. Instead of just letting you repurpose it according to what you want to do in our life. For your kingdom's praise, honor, and glory. The opposite of rest, Lord, is striving. And rest is one of the things that you've showed me. Is a part of soaring. And we can even strive in a good way for the things of the kingdom and miss the repurposing that you want to do and just lifting us above the strife to live in love. I don't know where anybody is or everybody is, but Lord, I just trust that your spirit right now would move into our hearts and our life with that kind of minute, detailed, intimate seed that you do to pinpoint for us, Lord, where we have let the things of the world creep in, where we have taken control, where we need to walk away and get above by leaning and resting on you. And in this moment, as you reveal that to us, give us the courage, Lord, to let go. And to let you have control. Lord, if there's anybody that's heard this message and doesn't know you, purpose their whole life to take it out of the hands of sin, self, and Satan and put it into the hands of the Heavenly Father. And I pray that they do that this morning, Lord. Help them in that process to do that. Give them the truth that they need. Let them call upon you, Lord, to forgive their sins and come into their heart. And you promise you will. Thank you for our moments together. We love you, Lord. Speak to us now. Let us have something we carry, not just today, but the whole week. Amen.